0: It's 6.30, and I am, um, I'm really, I'm really glad to be with this group. I've been playing youth minister for a good while, having lots and lots and lots of fun, not really being a youth minister, but just working with the teenagers on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, and it's been fantastic. And so if I, if I appear a bit, uh, present myself a bit immature, it's, it's, it's for that reason. I've got a lot of teenagers still in me, maybe. Um, so here's what's going to happen tonight. i, I, I I'm going to divide tonight into two sections. Um, the men and the women. <laughs> see there there's a violation already. Oh my goodness. oh my goodness. See, this is why we had this class.. Uh, <laughs> You're not, see the goodness, here we go again. Um, I'm <laughs> just playing. Um, I'm going to spend a, a, probably more time than I should with somewhat of an introduction to this whole series. And then we're going to work our way into a passage in First Corinthians 11. So that's the plan for tonight. I, I'm delighted to be here. Here comes God. Oh, I thought maybe I was doing something wrong. So I don't know if you are... A newspaper reader, I count my dad was, and so I am. But in the paper, it was. I'm always. Oh, this 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 is a great way for me to introduce this. Maybe you saw this. Um, There was um, uh, a mural that was painted on the side of Palmer High School, and so the. Women League of Voters, is that the name of that organization? They had an unveiling of this mural, and this mural is a, a celebration and a commemoration of the 100-year anniversary of the Congress ratifying, passing and ratifying the 19th Amendment. Does anybody know what the 19th Amendment is? The women's suffrage movement got, I think they were probably the main motivation behind that. The 19th Amendment did what? It gave Kay Headley the right to vote. All women. It gave all women. Now, there were some pockets of states that already started, but basically... That's what it did. And so the League of Women Voters, after this women's suffrage movement and after the 19th Amendment was passed, it was established to, to really work hard and is still, in, still active today to have women involved in, in, in political affairs and um, after the right of women to vote was, was uh, passed. So I, I was reading the article and... It, it struck me in, a, in this way that I kept thinking in 1920, so how many years has it had that been? In, in a civilized, I guess we would call ourselves civilized, maybe that's, that's a little bit generous. <laughs> Who is civilized? That's a, whole, that's a really interesting, one. in a civilized country, Very educated, especially these people who were in well, (laughs) we would hope they would be in the government. And 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 with somewhat of Christian values that our nation was was striving to be founded upon and lived by. I was just reading that thinking, how in the world did a group of people sit around a table and say, No, we don't want women to vote? And that was like for Decades and decades and decades. I'm. How did that even become a discussion? It, it just, that, that's crazy. And though it wasn't perhaps intended, I would guess for the women especially, it, it gave the impression of women being second class citizens. Um. And so I, I believe that our, our nation has made some tremendous strides. And, and I may be using not the right words, and, but in, in what we might call gender equality. But if, if you read the paper, if you listen to the news, if you watch the news, or, or if you're, this issue of gender discrimination and gender equality is still a debate. It's still a struggle and it's still an issue in our nation but it's also in in the church, hotly debated and and divisive. And I, I'll just be, just to play my card here. Obviously, I'm a man, and so it's easy for me to to not be aware of it and to not feel it and not to be sensitive to it and to think everything. It's fine that doesn't exist, but then I talk to some women, and there's women on different places of this that will say, Oh man, yeah, it's still very much at, at play in the community, and it's still much, very much at play in the church. And there are others who, who, who don't share those feelings. But it's it's a divisive issue in our nation. And it's a divisive issue in churches. I I talk to ministers and preachers from churches. And it's just unending. And, And it's a struggle here in our church family as well. And so, for that and many other reasons and I'll share with you, we're going to spend the next few weeks revisiting this topic of the role and the involvement of women. We're not gonna talk about necessarily in our nation, but but in the church. And I say revisit because about six years ago when I, was, I got here seven seven and a half years ago, but I was soon into getting here and the elder said, We want you to teach on this. You know, I get the preacher always gets the fun stuff. And so I did a series and so I say revisit because you may have been in that class years ago, six years ago, and so I um it's going, to be, it's going to be somewhat similar to that in the sense of six, six years ago when I taught this, I primarily focused on, and this will be where we'll start, what happens in this room, <laughs> basically. Uh, what happens in the assembly and what women's, uh, I would say it like this, the role of women as it relates to their freedom to speak or not in the assembly. Because that's hotly debated and that's a very divisive issue and but while we're going to start there I've been looking at this and thinking about it and going and thinking ah, you know I think we'll, we'll, we'll start there we'll zoom in on some passages on that but then I want to zoom out and talk about the larger picture not just what happens in this room um, but just in, in women's role in general in the church, and their place. Now, for those of you that are, uh, the millions that are listening by way of recording, <laughs> let me have my delusion. There are, for those of you that are new to the Bible, new to Christianity, or new to um, these conversations, when I said these words, we're going to talk about the freedom of women to speak or not in the assembly, I just think, to new ears, that's got to sound really crazy. Really? You're talking about women that are not women have the freedom to speak or not? And I I just like that's even a question or a discussion. And and I know that has to seem a bit odd. But here's the challenge is that we have some some scriptures that bring that to surface. And some of us know them very well because we've been arguing over them or debating about them or wrestling with them from, I don't know how long ago, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. As in, I quote from Scripture, in IV, as in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. Like, if that doesn't sound like gender discrimination, then... What is, what does sound like it? And then, then you read the Gospels and you look at the example of Jesus. And when he picked his 12 disciples, these are going to be the leaders of this movement. The first disciples, those that are in authority. They did have authoritative position, that's clear. He picked 12 men. Why didn't he pick women? Sure, there were women hanging around and very involved. But when he picked those 12 individuals. And then he, when he had to even make replacements. He didn't say, you know what? We need to bring some women in this. And then, and then I look at the Apostle Paul. And when the Apostle Paul, in, in what we know of as the pastoral epistles. Uh, in, in speaking to Titus, he always loved Titus he was left in Crete if anybody ever wants to leave me as a missionary leave me in Crete I'll stay in the in the Greek Isles any day and he was left in Crete to work with the church there and Timothy was left in Ephesus and so in those two two pastoral epistles he's he's talking about the importance you need to establish leadership in the church and he and he refers to them as overseers presbyters or um, and he refers to them as men And so, and, and it wasn't because Paul had a preference towards men. I believe Paul was guided by the Holy Spirit to write those two epistles. I believe all Scripture is God-breathed. And I say that because <laughs> there's a lot of folks that are, are questioning the divine inspiration of Scripture outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I believe Paul, it wasn't that Paul had some male ego thing going. I believe it's the Holy Spirit guiding Paul. But were Paul in Jesus, misogynistic? And in, in, in picking men and not women? Is that not discrimination? And, and I even wondered, is there a good way to define discrimination? Is there a bad way? We may, we may actually talk somewhat um, about that. So then the question is, maybe have we have we messed up in, in our approach to these passages? Have we interpreted them incorrectly, or have we not taking into consideration, and I wasn't in the class because I was with the teenagers, what Phil and, I, th- I think what Phil and Alan were trying to do is try to understand Jewish culture and the heritage from which we have the Bible. And so, are, do, are we missing something culturally? Is there something we're supposed to understand about that culturally that doesn't really have application anymore to us today? Many would say that's exactly the problem. Um, so rather than, than defining, rather than ignoring this topic, for the sake of comfort and, and for the sake of ignoring or uh, staying away from controversy, we're just going to jump right in. <laughs> Get in the middle of this and pull out these passages and, and, uh, and take a peek, take a look, not, not a peek, no, a deep dig into this topic. And, and I just want to say a few reasons. I've kind of already said this somewhat, but just to, to further emphasize our various reasons for doing this, one of the reasons for not doing this class, is, is uh, I'm not doing this class because the elders have made a decision, and I've been asked to prepare you for that decision. That's, uh, sometimes there are those untrusting thoughts of, oh, I wonder what's getting ready to happen. You know, I don't think I'm getting ready to get fired, and they're going to put um, Kay as our, our new preacher. Um, <laughs> I haven't been told that. So there's, there's nothing that I've been asked to do to prepare you for a decision that the elders have made. There's no, that's not there. So then why are we doing this? Well, I think one of the reasons why we're doing this is for the women of our church and churches to reaffirm our strong conviction at Eastside regarding the giftedness of women and their value in the kingdom of God. And it would seem as though we shouldn't have to affirm, that should be obvious. But... In church life, and in our society, it seems as though that's not often the feeling, and the message that is presented. So we're doing it for our women. We're also doing this for our newcomers, and this is where I was having the conversation. The elders didn't say, you do this, Eddie, but there's this discussion. We got a lot of new folks that are here who've come from other churches of Christ, and you walk into Eastside, and it's a bit different perhaps in the church that some of our newcomers went to, that we have women more involved in ways in our assembly, in our church life than you would at other churches. And it's, and, and it's like, why do y'all do that? And biblically, is, that, is how, do, how, how do you justify that biblically? Now, the truth is, compared to some other churches of Christ, we're not near out there with the role of women. But for many of our newcomers, out of respect to you, um, we're having this class just to go back and say here's biblically what we understand the Bible to say, and um, an understanding of our practice. And, and we're also doing this for the sake of unity. And, and this is this is huge for the leadership of our church and for our elders. This is so divisive. I, I, I am weary of this conversation. Not, I love teaching, I love, and I love the Bible. And we're just going to dig into Scripture. But it, it's hurt, it hurts me that there are people who have left, not 10 years ago, but within this past year, because we don't let women do enough in this church. And there are women, there are individuals who have left or decided not to come here because we do too much. We don't do enough with women so we're leaving. You do too much so we're leaving. There are some right now in this fellowship that are considering leaving on one or the other of those sides. And we care about that. We care about our membership. We care about our unity. And, and we want to say let's come together. Let's seek God and let's seek His wisdom in Scripture. And that's, that's the other reason why we're doing this because um, it's healthy to say, okay, who are we? What are we doing? And what does the Bible say? It's like for a sense of reevaluation, uh, the restoration movement. Let's go back to scripture and, and really reevaluate. What are we doing? How are we living? What are we teaching? How does it line up with scripture? That shouldn't be something that we do and is done, but it's a, a, it's a continual process. And so here we are again doing that. And, and I think it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important that you understand that the leadership of this church, and I speak for, when I say that, primarily the elders that they have a strong, strong conviction for the authority of Scripture and to be guided by God's Word and by the counsel of His Word. Their objective is not to follow what's trendy or what's woke, we could say today, um, or what fits into the movements and uh, in, in, in the, the movements of our surrounding culture. What does the Bible say? So I believe that strongly about our leadership of our church, and I'm confident in saying that. And so we're going to be looking to Scripture. Now, what we're going to start out doing, we're going to look at three passages. We're just going to kind of jump right into the hot, sensitive passages. We'll look in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. And we're not just going to look at those in their isolation, because I think that's where we've gone wrong with those passages, we're going to look at them in their, in their larger context. These are the two main passages that give those strong pro- prohibitions that I read. And then, but before we do that, I'm, I would like for us to go, first of all, to a passage in 1 Corinthians 11. It's kind of like a passage where you read this and you're going, did we, did we not think about what that says there? And that passage there really helps shed light and give insight on these passages that give the strict prohibitions. Um, so we're going to go first of all to 1 Corinthians 11. What we're not going to be doing in this class is I'm not going to be spending any time, not unless you want to talk about it and you bring it up, I won't stop you from it, mean, but I, I, I don't, I'm not going to rest heavily upon restoration history. A lot of times this topic builds and and works from that I'm really more interested not in what this guy said and this guy said but simply what God has revealed to us in scripture now I think what these guys say is important because that's a lot of our history and so if you have something to share from that that's great now speaking of if you have something to share um, I was I was I I took a listen to one of the classes I taught six years ago just to kind of get an idea And and I said okay we're gonna have 30 minutes of of kind of looking in the scripture and then 15 minutes of Q&A at the end. And I went all the way to the end and, and we had about 15 seconds to, at the end. And that's a really clever way of avoiding questions. Um, so I, I, I'm afraid that I'll do that again. So I, I, I want to give you permission to raise your hand or to make comments or ask questions along the way. So it's not, I, I will definitely say at the end if we have time, are there any questions? But I, but I don't want you to leave and, and if you have any things, Eddie, can we be sure and talk about this? Can we be sure and talk about this? Write that down and give it to me because I may miss something that you've come here for. And you said, well, Raz, I was really hoping we'd talk about this particular thing and he didn't cover it all. So uh, let me know what that is. And if I feel bold enough to, to cover it in our class, then, then I will do that. So let's take our Bibles and turn to First Corinthians chapter 11. Those were the words of introduction. Yeah, so, so Tim made a good point. My plans were to repeat whatever question is said, but rather than probably it'll be a little bit more, I'd have to get a microphone passer, but yeah, it would be good. Uh, and I'll make sure to say this person's asking that question so that I won't get in trouble for... Um, can we do that? I think that's a great idea, yeah. We're, this is being recorded, so keep that in mind. Okay, so while they're getting the mic, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to say a prayer. Father, we believe, as I mentioned earlier, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so we ask now in this moment, as we read from your sacred Scriptures, that you would breathe on us your Word and we believe these words are, are not only going to give us good instruction and help us understand some things that are challenging for us, but they're nourishing and they're transformative. And so, Father, may, may you, by your Spirit, speak to us and draw us and um, pull us deeper and closer into relationship with you. And you, you tell us when we lack wisdom to ask you for that, and you promise to give it in generous portion. And so we ask you to give us wisdom and to reveal your will and your wisdom to us through these words as we start in this letter of 1 Corinthians. In Jesus' name, amen. So, before we read this passage, I want to I give you um, context, we would say, because I think it's really a mistake if you got this letter that was written by your mom, and it's 12 pages long, and you just skipped all of it, and you just went to page 5 and read that. You really, <laughs> you really understand page 5 when you've read the whole letter. We're not going to read all of 1 Corinthians, but I'm going to kind of give you the big picture first into which this passage is placed. Uh, I I think it's important to understand that this is a letter that was written to address a church of real people in a real place. Actually, there is a Corinth. You can go visit Corinth. And Paul didn't sit down and write a treatise on the guidelines of church life when he wrote 1 Corinthians. It's not like, okay, we need to write and tell them about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and about the resurrection, and we need to write to them about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and about taking friends to court, and about sexual immorality. He didn't, he wasn't thinking this stuff up. What happened was, and we know this as he wrote it, in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 1, he says, now for the matters you wrote about, and so there was a letter that is not at our disposal that was written by the church in Corinth. They were having problems, and so they, they wrote Paul this letter. And most likely, Paul's in Ephesus when he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. We know from the book of Acts, Paul played a, 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 a fundamental role in planting the church in Corinth. So he's got a close relationship to the Corinthians, and he's not there. They're having problems, and who better to ask about their problems than Paul. So they wrote a letter, and so you're going to see Paul say, now about this. So that basically means, you asked about this, so let's talk about this. And he's going to say, he says this a lot, now about this, now about this, now about this. So you see that a lot. But not only did the letter reveal some um, questions that they had, but It's likely that the person, whoever delivered this letter to Paul from Corinth to where he is in Ephesus, they probably filled him in on more stuff too. Because you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, verse 11, he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And so, it sounds as though this is more than just a letter. Likely some from Chloe's household there within the church in Corinth delivered this letter and they had a, then they stayed with Paul for a while and they filled Paul in on some stuff as well. So here's our problem is we don't have that letter. And so we're going to have to figure out what these problems are. But in the, in the instructions and the corrections of the problems, you pretty much can, can guess what... The, the problems were but that's what we're going to have to do it's kind of like if if um, your spouse is on the phone and you're hearing what your spouse is saying but not what the other person is saying you start chiming in Karen loves it when I do that uh, <laughs> just would you be quiet Eddie because uh, I, I, I don't know what they're saying but I'm guessing what they're saying based upon what Karen is saying and as a result I'm telling her what she needs to say to them she just loves that um, <laughs> And so we're really, we're really listening to part of the conversation, but we're not hearing what the Corinthians necessarily said to Paul. And, and so, so we're at a disadvantage there. So we're going to have to do a little work to figure out what was the problem. And then another disadvantage is this is 2021 in Colorado. <laughs> this is not first century in Corinth. So we don't live in that culture. We don't dress like they do. We don't have the temples that they did. We don't eat like they do, and so we don't talk like they. And so, so there's a lot of disadvantage that we have. Is we have to try to figure out. And I'm thinking, Phil, this is you and Alan. Some what we're talking about is what was that culture, and that's kind of hard. Um, but 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 we need to somehow try to do that, and so. If you were to read from beginning to end all of 1 Corinthians, you would conclude that church was a mess, and it had people in it, so no surprise there, Uh, which is comforting. So no, if we feel like we have some messes, they did too. Very, very, very divided there. You know, it wasn't, you got your Republicans over here, your Democrats over here, your Critical race theory folks over here and those that are against it, the Black Lives Matter over here, you got these over here and and no, this and you got the ones that want music, the ones that don't want music, and this they but they were dividing up into groups according into camps of of leaders in the church. Lots of division. Um that was in the church. There was a lot of division and a lot of arrogance and a lot of confusion over the spiritual gifts in twelve, thirteen and fourteen. Um, looking down on others because they don't have the gifts, and misuse of the gifts. There was controversy about what happened in their worship assemblies, which was more than likely not something that we have here, but it was whatever their assembly looked like, likely house churches, problems that were there uh, in their assemblies. There were marital problems, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. He hits that in in chapter 7. Uh, there were problems in the church with sexual immorality. They must have written about that. Oh, it was horrible what was going on. He writes about that. There were some that were taking others to court, and he writes about that. There, were, there was the Jew Gentile division in the church, and um, there were differences of opinion. That had turned into differences of faith that weren't differences of faith, but really differences of opinion. But they turned into matters of faith, and so this was causing controversy and conflict. And so, in the middle of this all, Paul Paul said, "Okay, we'll just get in here and deal with this." Oh, there was there was the um, influence in chapter fifteen of um, the resurrection, and 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 uh, perhaps Jesus. There is no resurrection, and and so this was leading to crazy behavior and living and in uncertainty and so Paul writes this and the primary thing he says to them in in chapter 13 it says you know we're we're trying to sort out all this but man you guys aren't even loving so there was a lack of love among the Christians here in Corinth and so in the middle of all of these problems evidently there was disunity and disagreement and problems about the gender issues so Paul decides to address that. So here's what I'm going to do in chapter 11. And I'm going to take a break from talking. I'm going to, I'm going to read this passage... And so what we're going to do is we're going to do what, we're going to, what the Bible scholars would call, we're going to figure out the occasion, what's the problem. It's not, well, now I'm going to write about this. No, he's addressing a problem that was there. So what we want to do is reconstruct the problem because it's a mistake for us to ask what does this mean for us without first asking what does it mean for us. For them, And I better understand what it means for them when I understand the problem that Paul is addressing. So we got to back up all the way to here so that we can get to here. So we definitely want to get to how is this relevant, how does this relate to us, but the mistake in interpreting Scripture is to start there and just talk about us. We need to understand what its original intent was for these Christians in the city of Corinth. And so I'm going to read this. You're going to be tempted to want to talk to me and respond to me about... The veils and the head coverings and God, Jesus, man, woman, and angels and all this. What I want to talk about, i ask you. So we're, we're, we're going to talk, first of all, what's the problem? And I don't think it's so complicated, but what, what exactly is the problem that Paul is addressing? What had they written to him about? If you were to read that letter, what would they have said? What were they saying here? And then we'll go. We're not going to talk about it tonight. We won't have time. We'll go to, okay, now what does he say is the solution? And then after we decide, what does he say is a the solution? Then we'll get to how in the world does that have anything to do with us? How is it relevant? I believe this is incredibly helpful in this big issue that we're struggling with. And so you might be going, why are we getting this detail and detail? Stay with me. Okay, so I'm going to read and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, what's the problem? Okay? Here we go. And you got the microphone. Okay. Chapter eleven, verse two. And we'll read through verse sixteen. I praise you for remembering me and everything, for holding the traditions just as I passed on, passed them on to you. So great start, right? If you're going to get ready, getting something really hard, start out positive. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved for if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off but if it but it if it is a Excuse me, but if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. Verse 7, I'm having a problem. They make these Bibles smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> Don't know what's happening here. Verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. So this this is like, what in the world? If you're a woman especially, you're kind of struggling with this perhaps. Verse 8, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. If it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Everybody understands that, right? Verse 11, nevertheless in the Lord Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory." It is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. Anyone who wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So don't make the mistake of getting lost in the details. Pull out of the details, the big picture. What's the problem? Your turn. Here, here's my glasses. <laughs> what's the problem? Priorities? Okay, what do you mean by that? That's pretty general. So I, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> priorities. I repeated it. Don McGinty said priorities. Well, I, I don't know what you're looking for, but there definitely is a priority here. as The head is God. Okay, now I understand what you mean. And, and man and woman. And whether you cut your hair and whether you don't. Okay, there's something about priorities and hair and covering. Okay, Phil? What's the problem? The problem is there were women who were praying but their heads. Uncovered. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, so Phil said the problem was there were women who were I don't want to put words in your mouth, there were women who were praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered. Ginger? So it's the public assembly when they come together. So he's talking about something that was amiss in their public assembly, and people will dispute that. I agree with you, but we're going to talk about that. People will say, oh, yeah, 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 I hear what you're saying, but this is not church assembly. Boy, that's a stretch to me. Keith? okay. How about traditions, Keith said? What do you mean? There was a problem with traditions, you mean? Yes. Are these really problems of of the head coverings and so on? Or are these things traditions? Are these problems of the head coverings or are these things traditions? Okay. I wouldn't say traditions so much as how much of this is cultural. Okay. Yeah, so, so what, what what does it mean? Not not. So Keith said traditions, and Phil said I would. Prefer, I'd rather define that more as, more as culture. But I think that's kind of probably. I'm guessing what you meant was, so he does appeal to culture here. Tim. So that's similar to what Don said. There was something they've gotten out of order as far as our relationship to God and our relationship to one another. So when I repeat what you've said, don't let me put words in your mouth. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm fairly new to this, but who is this coming from? Okay, who's writing this? Okay, so this is the Apostle Paul, and according to just what we understand, Scripture tells us this was Apostle Paul that was writing under the guidance of God, and we call that the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just Paul being a really smart guy and saying, here's what I think you should do. The Scripture tells us that the Scriptures that we have, and the apostles and the prophets were being guided by God. So these are the words of God giving instructions to a church. Did I answer your question? There, there was contention. However that got started, that's, that's what the problem was. Somehow, huh? you know. You've been looking at the teacher's notes. No, no, it could have been over one of these things or all of these things, but some, at some point there was some kind of contention over how things were being done. So there was contention on how things were being done. So it wasn't necessarily this detail or this deal. There was a contentious spirit. Okay, so I, I I think I think you, hit, you 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 nailed it very well. He says at the very end in verse sixteen, if anybody wants to be contentious about this, we have no other. So so when something like that is stated, it's kind of kind of like if I, if I were to say, those that are sitting in the back row really don't need to be talking in class. So. I didn't just say that people that are sitting in the back are talking in class, but by that comment, and it implies it's very likely Eddie would have said that if that weren't happening. So you get the feeling that there was a contentious spirit at play, and you can't miss that from the whole letter. And this word contentious is quite fascinating. It's a word that's made up of two Greek words that basically has that word philos, the love, uh, love brotherly love word, love of quarrels. Love of strife. And so it wasn't just simply good godly people trying to do what's right. But there was just... Some, you ever seen folks like that? They just, they just argue and fight and debate. It's like they're not happy if they were happy. And there's just... Once they, once they fight over this, then they move on to this. So there was, that, there was a contentious spirit. But there was, a, there was a legitimate issue still that needed to... Um, be resolved so yes uh, were there Jews in this congregation yes I'm trying to go back to Acts were, yes <laughs> were there Jews in this congregation and, yeah yes 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 in the book of Acts I would say there was a Jew and Gentile conversions why are you asking I may So, so in, in, in the the Jews are separ- in the Jewish gatherings of worship. You got the men and women that are separate, and then you've got some Gentile converts who are coming in from these um, temples of to idols, and it's totally different world. And you're bringing them together, and so there's a bit of chaos there. So, is that what you're getting at? Is there a difference in culture in the church? Okay, so the, the Jewish converts had given in about as far as they were going to give in to even have the women not sitting in a separate place. Now they're letting them sit with them, but now to have more of this, they just can't take anymore, and so there was the divisiveness. And so my, my yes, Kay? Something like also a power struggle? A power struggle? Somebody wanted control of what was going on. Who wanted the control? You don't know. <laughs> you feel that, yeah. Yes. Tanya? Paul was referring to that there seems to be a lack of reference in approaching the throne of God. Are you doing some of the things that we do to show reference as we approach the Lord? I would think so as it relates to. So, thank you thank you. Don't quit telling me that, okay? You're not bothering me uh, because Linda probably missed that. It could, could it be, Tanya was saying, um, a lack of reverence as it related to their activity and their worship and their relationship to God? And I would say, I would say so yes in the sense of what Don said and I think it's what Tim was saying is when you walk in here you need to realize and take in consideration God is here Christ is here, the angels are here, men are here, and women are here. You're not here. You need to you need to have regard for those relationships. I, I believe that's part of what he's saying here. I think as in that culture, as in ours, I, I think there was a flaunting of position. There was a flaunting of position. People flaunting their wealth, flaunting their position. There was arrogance and pride in the church in Corinth. That's a fact. Yes, Mark? So in verse 14, he's appealing to nature and said, Nature teach you. So he's appealing to culture, Mark is saying by saying, I mean, isn't this obvious? Kind of like but so here's our problem with that. We're not in that culture. And so what's long hair to us compared to long hair to them? What's short hair and was long hair? Yeah. I I heard someone said to an eighteen year old boy in church, not this church, but another church recently, they looked at his hair and said, and this is a guy that, you know, really not even Christian or, or coming into the church, perhaps. Don't you know what the Bible says about long hair? And uh, that didn't have a positive impact on this young man. Um, but, but, but he's standing on 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 here, you know. He says what it says. I'm sorry, Mark, I interrupted you. Yeah. So so okay. Um, I think Phil simplified it. Evidently, in the church, there were some who were being contentious, and while Paul is addressing both men and women, he's really addressing something that the women were doing that was inappropriate in the assembly. And now I've got two hands or three hands of women that just went up, rubbing. <laughs> So there's a definite, she said, I may be mistaken on this, which is a humble way to start. There could be a distinction between how Jewish women dressed and how Gentile women dressed. And so you guys did a good job in your class, Phil, helping people think culturally. And when they came together, that was very obvious. And that was obvious when they came together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in verse 13, it says, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray? With her head uncovered. I mean, that's another issue, but evidently the women were praying in the church service? So he's saying, is it proper for, he doesn't say, is it proper for a woman to pray? He says, is it proper for a woman to pray as you continued on with her head uncovered? Therefore, evidently, you said in the assembly, there were women praying. The problem wasn't that they were praying, but they were praying with their head uncovered. See now you're going to the relevance to us. That's a good good direction to go. Was he talking about praying with the group in prayer? Or praying out loud and leading prayer? Was he praying? Was he speaking about praying as far as someone standing and leading? And that word leading, that that's interesting, is that the best word to use? But someone everybody be quiet. Kay is gonna pray right now. Is that what he's talking about? Or was he pr- When the whole group is praying together and so you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. Is that what he's talking about? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, good, good questions. Um, the, so there was a problem with women. The improper behavior was in some way related to their praying and prophesying in a manner that wasn't appropriate. And that manner that wasn't appropriate was that their heads were not covered while they were praying or prophesying. That's the problem, I believe. Now, I want you to notice something, okay? The problem was not that these women were speaking in their church gatherings. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't that they were speaking, I believe. But it was how they were doing it. Because if it was that they were speaking, and we would expect Paul to say, we have women praying or prophesying in the church with their heads uncovered. And they just need to stop because don't you know women are not supposed to be speaking in the assembly. He doesn't tell them that it's wrong for them to pray and prophesy. He says it's wrong for them to pray and prophesy with their heads uncovered. See, if we go to 1 Corinthians 14, women are to remain silent. And, and then we go to 1 Timothy 2. And I do not permit a woman to teach a man. And they must be silent. Then we, we expect Paul here to say... It's not about the head covering. It's about they shouldn't be speaking at all. But he doesn't correct it in that way. So we have women in the assembly praying and prophesying. He doesn't correct that. He corrects the fact that their heads were not covered. Now what's that about? We're going to talk about that, not tonight. Because uh, there's a deeper principle. So our goal is not to decide should women go back to wearing hats at church, okay? That's not where we're going, all right? There's a deeper principle. We've got to figure that out because I believe that is cultural. But that's another thing too. How do you know what's cultural and what's not? That's another problem we have. Um, so um, there was a guy and he, um, a, a writer that I was reading on this passage, and he said, he, he tried to reconstruct what might have been written in that letter to Paul as far as the problem that they have, kind of a fictitious paragraph of what Paul might have been reading from them. This is what he wrote, and I thought it was helpful. So you come to this paragraph. Paul, some of us are shocked about the behavior of women while they're praying and prophesying in our assemblies. The women's uncovered heads are not proper in public where a number of men are present. The women claim the authority to pray and prophesy with their heads uncovered because gender distinctions do not matter in the Lord. They base this claim on the traditional recitation at their baptism, which is there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. We want to maintain the traditions you delivered to us, but this tradition certainly does not permit women to do this in this way, does it? Paul, we need your advice since the discussions about this custom are becoming contentious. So that's this guy's recreation of, here's our problem. And I think he's, think he's on to it there. Um, so here's what I want us to do. At 721. Um, start this exploration of, of three things. What does it mean... To prophesy. I think that's really huge. And if you'll stay with me, I think it's going to be very telling. And very, very interesting. What does it mean to prophesy? Because what does it mean that the women were prophesying? Now, we cannot, they were praying and prophesying in the assembly. Was that assembly? We'll talk about that later. I think we know what prayer is. But I want to really explore prophecy in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Because when we do so, it makes you really start thinking, wait a minute, then, how how do I understand that in relationship to these other two passages? Before I go there. Read three and four together. Before you go there, read three and four. You mean verses three and four? Verses three and four together. Read three and four. Every man who prays and okay, every... Every man who prays or prophesies with his, covered, diso- prays with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies, two of them are doing the same thing. Okay, do you hear what you're saying? That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, what you're saying is men in the assembly were praying and prophesying. And women in the assembly were praying and prophesying and they were not told to stop but they were told, if you're going to do it, this is how you do it. It's it's, It's, it's culture. It's culture? What do you mean by that? Heads. Okay, okay, heads covering. But do you understand, you understand this point? If, if indeed authorized, sanctioned by God, women praying and prophesying in this assembly. I'm jumping to the end of my notes. There's nothing yet that we're doing in this assembly that's even close to that. When we look at prophecy, I'll show you that. Jeff? You've got to understand the culture in that time. Now I've got to make sure I hear you. A woman without a head covering in that culture would be considered a prostitute. And so, so, so we've got these women in the church who were, who were dressing or behaving themselves. I think you mentioned that as prostitutes in the city because they were free. They were free in Christ. And, and, and what's really interesting, this freedom is an issue that's addressed in the previous chapters. And so you wonder, have we had not, perhaps we haven't left that. And they're free and... Um, I don't have to wear a head covering. I don't have to worry about my hair. And Paul says, well, you need to really think about there's more than just you in that assembly. Okay, um, let's see. Did someone else have a hand up? Um, so I want us to look at prophecy in the Old Testament, the New Testament. And what does this mean that women were doing? And then um, what instructions does he give to resolve this problem? And then we'll look at We'll look at all these little details to some degree. We'll also talk about. We're also going to talk about the assembly. Because some will say, as soon as they hear me say there were women praying and prophesying, they'll say, "Yeah, but that wasn't Sunday morning church." <laughs> okay, that was not the assembly. So we're gonna we're gonna determine is that the assembly or not, and um, we'll we'll talk about that. But that's but that's one of the arguments used, saying, "Yeah, okay, they were doing that, but they weren't doing it in the presence of men." In church as we would understand church to be and then then if what I just said is true and 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 Don said yeah okay men and women are doing the same thing when they're praying and prophesying then then how do you reconcile that with him One, two three, three chapters later two or three chapters later saying women are to remain silent how do you reconcile it with that and how do you reconcile it with Timothy Paul telling Timothy no you don't do that so we'll have, we'll have to reconcile that. And you, there's a way, I think, but we're going to to do that. So we have four minutes. I had every intention of finishing these three pages, but I prefer the discussion. Last time I listened, I just talked the whole time, which I know you guys would love that. Um, <laughs> but I thought, I've got a lot of brains. I've got a lot of spiritual... Wisdom here that I want to hear from, and we want to hear from each other. Yes, and speaking of that, here's one, and I mean that not sarcastically at all. I've got a note in my text. The word "head" is used 13 times in these short passages. The word "head" is used 13 times here. That's huge, huge. When 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 my mother would repeat the same thing over and over and over again, she's trying to get something across to me. When God says 13 times the use of that, that word head, there's got to be something there. What does it mean? Well, you already pointed out, all the way through the book is this problem of division, contention, quarrels. And in chapter 12, he talks about we're all gifted in different ways, but there's one body and it's the appeal I think Paul is making is for us to come under the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ and let there be no unit uh, division in the body. Okay, so he's so so I'm have to repeat what you said. So because of the larger theme and that's a that's really good in work hermeneutics, could we call it, of I'm going to interpret this in the larger context of this problem of division, trying to solve the division. He talks about head, 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 head. And if somehow we can get everybody under the headship of Jesus Christ in this divine order, then that brings us together in unity. So he's working on that unity. Tim? Okay, so Tim's going to tag on to what Larry just talked about. Okay, so Tim is saying in this use of the word head, and I I I think you're right. I think you're onto something. It's used in two ways, literally and figuratively. I agree. So my question is, is there a connection there? Is there a connection there? I don't understand that part. So he's talking about the head and the hair and the covering, but then at the same time, now, yep, yep. Christ is the head of the church. Gotcha, I understand. So it seems as though the literal, what I do with my body and my approach and my what I do in my life that you see is a display of this headship and this there's some type of divine structure of order here that's displayed so that figurative head it needs to be a connection mark welcome back jody i'm so, you've been sick for so long we're glad to have you back we got covid recovery here So there were Roman men, is saying, praying and making sacrifices to idols. I assume you mean in these temples, not in the. with their heads covered. Okay? So this Paul may also. In mind, Paul may have also. Been that be God. So Paul may be, not just be talking to the women, but say men. You're bringing this custom from your pagan idolatry in the temples into the church. You can't do that. Okay, so um, here's what we want to do. We want to spend next week talking about prophecy. I think it's worthy. First of all, just, it's, it's biblical. So I got just a ton of passages. What, what, what is prophecy? And then, what do we know about women prophetesses? We'll look at them in the Old Testament. We're going to look at them in the New Testament. And then we're going to determine what was the purpose of prophecy to conclude what exactly these women were doing in the church and why is it they needed to have... We've kind of moved to the head thing, which is good. To So I want you, if you want to, that's where we're we're going to go next week, we'll probably spend, based upon the nature of, of of your input, and I appreciate that, we'll probably just, so we're going to talk about prophecy next week. What is prophecy? Let's get a definition of it out, and then let's move into, who are some female prophetesses in the Scripture? Let's talk about who they were and what they did, and that'll help us build the scene of what was going on in Corinth. And, and do you understand where this is going? Um, so, so, there were women prophesying. What does that mean? They were doing. Um, so I think I think I better be quiet. Seven thirty-two. So that's where we're going to go next week, and then after we figure that out, we're going to go to how does he how does he resolve this problem? Uh, let's pray, Father. We we obviously did not finish this, but we introduced and, and opened this topic up and. And I pray now that you'll take this passage and you'll put it into the, I could say, slow cookers of our minds and, and let us stew on this and wrestle with this and seek you with this throughout the week and come back next week and, and talk about this incredible gift that you gave to men and women, the gift of prophecy, to understand what it was and what it meant and how it relates to this passage and, and how in the world that's relevant to us. Father, we seek you, we want to be your people according to the revelation of your word. That's our objective for being here, and also just for, just for encouraging one another in, in the presence of one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we'll start right there next week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the East Side Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.